Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mayho China podcast. This is Charlie, and this is Chuhan. Chuhan and I both grew up in China and came to the United States for college education. And through our jobs in the past years, we have extensively experienced cultures in many countries around the world, across the U.S., Latin America, Europe, Africa, and also Asia. We wanted to share our cross-cultural perspectives with you to help you understand China better. So we created Meho, which is a platform where you can learn more about China and the Chinese language. Specifically, in the Meho China podcast series, you're going to hear stories on what's happening in China, and at the same time, learn some very useful and important Chinese expressions. Without further ado, let's kick it off. In the last two episodes, we have talked a lot about COVID-19, which is a very heavy topic. But today, we're going to talk about something more fun. Chuhan, what social media do you use? Hmm, interesting question, Charlie. I mean, I do have Facebook, Twitter, and I'm also on Instagram, but I'm not super active on any of those. I also use WeChat, of course, but I only occasionally post updates on my moments. What about you? Sounds a bit antisocial in the online sense. I used to be pretty active on Facebook when I was in college. Now I'm more on Twitter, Instagram, and WhatsApp. Of course, I can't live without WeChat now. You'll probably see me posting on it almost every day. But here comes the real question: Have you ever used TikTok? I do have it on my phone, and also its Chinese version, Douyin. I watched a couple of short video clips on it. But to be honest, I definitely can't pretend to be a power user of TikTok. You? Let me put it this way: I hear people talk about it more often than actually using it myself. <laughs> <laughs> I feel embarrassed saying I don't use TikTok, as if admitting I'm getting old. It's definitely super popular among the teenagers nowadays. I know we are definitely not teenagers anymore. But in the past year or so, TikTok has attracted the attention of people of all ages. As the media and politicians have been attacking it for data security concerns, some are actually using it as an excuse to attack China, given TikTok's parent company ByteDance is headquartered in Beijing. I feel like all social media companies are under some sort of political scrutiny, starting from Facebook after the 2016 elections, and especially the Cambridge Analytica data breach. The criticism on TikTok is definitely more unfortunate since it also coincides with the U.S.-China trade war and the recent standoff after COVID-19. That's right, and I think TikTok definitely saw that problem too, and it has been trying really hard to show that it operates as an American company. For example, with its operations and data centers located in Los Angeles of the United States. However. None of these efforts made such a big noise as the recent news that TikTok hired the former head of Disney Plus, Kevin Mayer, for that CEO position. Absolutely, nothing else screams "I'm American" louder than having a superstar American executive as your CEO. Well, personally, I was very curious about how much money TikTok is paying Kevin Mayer to recruit him over. Probably a lot. Given that it's been only a couple of months since Disney Plus started the streaming war with Netflix, right? With Quibi just launched a few weeks ago, and also HBO Max just joining the war now. I mean, Kevin Mayer is definitely one of the key figures in this streaming war. 
This is apparently not the emphasis of our conversation today, but there has definitely been some internal drama going on at Disney between the come and go of Bob Iger, the departure of his former CEO Tom Staggs, who was behind the launch of Disney's new theme park in Shanghai, and now Kevin Mayer leaving the spotlight of Disney Plus and joining TikTok. And this is also not the first time TikTok hires an American executive. Earlier in April, I think, it snapped Nick Tran, former VP of brand marketing at Hulu, to join as、uh, TikTok's head of marketing in North America. Also in January, Blake Chantley, who was former VP of global partnerships at Facebook, also joined TikTok as VP of global business solutions. And also back in October 2019. Oli Opperman, the former chief digital officer of Warner Music Group, joined TikTok as global head of music. The list goes on and on, and it's not just the U.S., but also in London, Singapore, Japan, and of course India, which is a key market for TikTok. And that is quite an impressive team of global leaders represented. But I'll say this: Kevin Mayer is definitely on another level. As the man behind the legendary mergers of Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm, and 21st Century Fox, and the creation of Disney Plus. By the way, Charlie, I know you have been following TikTok's parent company ByteDance for many years now, and have written quite extensively about it on your Medium posts. What's your take on the globalization strategy of ByteDance? Huh? Yeah, I first wrote about ByteDance in January 2018 when they made an aggressive move in the fintech space. But its globalization strategy started even earlier in 2016 when they hired Jen Liu to take on international expansion. Jen was known for her previous role as the CEO of Uber China. She actually joined ByteDance right after Uber sold its China arm to former arch rival Didi, and Didi, interestingly, is run by Jen's cousin Jin Liu, who is the daughter of Lenovo's founder. What a power family! And I was working in venture capital during that time. I remember that shortly after Jen's on board, ByteDance raised two billion U.S. dollars from GA General Atlantic, a very influential late-stage VC investor behind many successful global technology companies. In fact, Charlie, I think you were part of their portfolio companies, Adyen, right? Yeah, I joined Adyen in 2015, right after GA's investment. Which was a huge push for Adyen's international expansion, and eventually led to its IPO in 2018. I believe the same logic for international expansion can be applied to ByteDance as well. Later on, more international investors backed ByteDance, including KKR and Tiger Global. The international expansion of TikTok has been truly staggering. Its daily active users, I believe, is approaching one billion around the world now. Its popularity is extremely high among teenagers, as we discussed earlier, which used to be the market segment dominated by American social media companies like Snapchat and Instagram. I think the advantage of TikTok is that it's not just a social media platform; it's actually a content creation platform as well, which allows people to tell unique stories by showcasing short video cuts from their personal lives and combining them with trendy and catchy background music. And that's exactly why Kevin Mayer is the best candidate to run TikTok. Recall that the mission of Disney is indeed unparalleled storytelling. In the past years, to borrow the term from Star Wars, Kevin Mayer has been the force behind the making of Disney's Content Kingdom. 
no other company owns a bigger content IP network than Disney does, which now includes Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, and even National Geographic. Besides, these IPs are not just sitting there in silos. Kevin Mayer did his magic touch by uniting all of them together in the form of Disney Plus. He definitely is the best-in-class talent in producing the best content and integrating the best IP resources, which is what TikTok needs the most right now. It's not only what TikTok needs. I think all Chinese companies are in need of such important capabilities in storytelling, including branding, producing great IPs, and the whole creative process. I remember hearing from a podcast by Professor Scott Galloway of NYU. Who is, by the way, one of the top influencers in media and marketing? He was saying that Chinese companies can make great products, but none of them has made a great brand yet. That is actually an interesting observation, and I think it's partly because China has only started the economic development process 40 years ago, and that people's perception of branding is very different from that of the U.S. and European markets. When I was a kid growing up in China. My understanding of a good brand is based purely on a product's reliable quality, long-lasting endurance, and cost-effectiveness. That was definitely the social consensus of branding in China. Think of Lenovo; it became the biggest personal computer brand because it can make great quality computers in the most cost-effective and scalable way. In fact, China became the global manufacturing power definitely because of such capability. It goes way beyond the toys, souvenirs, and clothes, but also includes heavy machinery and electronic appliances. Meanwhile, in the process of building its manufacturing power, China also learned how to efficiently build out infrastructure, because things like transportation and electricity networks are integral parts of the production process. In fact, infrastructure is becoming a brand of China now. China has the competitive advantage in building infrastructure, just like Hollywood's competitive advantage in producing movies and Silicon Valley's competitive advantage in tech innovation. That's a brilliant analogy to understand why China is building infrastructure all over the world, from highways and railroads in Africa and Central Asia to power plants in Latin America. Even Alibaba and Alipay are, to some extent, building trade and financial infrastructure to connect much of the developing world. Exactly, but China's moves have always been misinterpreted by Western media to some degree. What China lacks now is the ability of storytelling to make this brand emotionally relatable to the Western China watchers. And to achieve this, we can't just rely on the state-owned media system from the top down. We have to find a path in the private sector from the bottom up. Right on the point. I used to think that this sort of yellowphobia is so deeply rooted among the Western audiences that it's impossible to change. But the success of the Korean movie *Parasite* winning the Oscar this year was such an inspirational moment to me. It proved that a story made by the yellow skin and acted by the yellow skin can be so well accepted globally, even by the highest standard of the Academy Awards. And I think you just touched on a great point here. The success of *Parasite* was actually just the tip of the iceberg of the rising Korean entertainment industry. It certainly has its historical and policy backdrop, but the commercial relationship here with Hollywood has definitely been an essential factor. Absolutely, I think the central figure here is Mickey Lee. She's the granddaughter of the founder of the famous Samsung Group. 
Mickey Lee runs CJ Entertainment and was the producer of Parasite. You probably remember her from the Oscar stage when Parasite won the Best Picture. In fact, she has been deeply connected to the Hollywood Network as one of the founding financiers of Steven Spielberg's DreamWorks. Even as co-founder Jeffrey Katzenberg has said that DreamWorks wouldn't exist without Mickey Lee. And recently, we have also seen Chinese companies getting increasingly involved in Hollywood. For example, real estate conglomerate Wanda Group acquired AMC Theaters and Legendary Entertainment, and Alibaba has also been very active in the distribution channels and production processes. However, they haven't been able to get to the core of Hollywood yet, in my opinion, which lies in the creative process. I think the new generation of Chinese companies can be the real game changers here, and TikTok is an example. The previous generation of companies such as Wanda and Alibaba, as you mentioned, Chuhan, focused on the physical and tangible economic activities such as real estate and commerce. But TikTok is a social media and content generation platform that dominates the sort of intangible world. With Kevin Mayer on board. It is exactly what the Chinese idiom describes as "ru hu tian yi," which means to add extra strength to something that's already super powerful. So maybe the new opportunity of the Chinese storytelling will come from social media content platforms such as TikTok. Whoa, whoa, Charlie! What a smooth transition to our Chinese idioms learning part. "Ru hu tian yi" is one of the best complimentary expressions in Chinese. "Ru" means as if. Or similar to, hu means the animal of tiger. Tian means to add on, and yi is the short form for wings. So, ru hu tian yi combined literally means as if a tiger is added with powerful wings and therefore able to dominate not only on the ground but also in the sky. And as Charlie just said, it's often used to describe when a power figure is getting more formidable. Hope you enjoy our discussion today on TikTok and learn something about the storytelling of China. And thanks for following the Meho China podcast. See you next time.